Let me talk to you all about root insurance for a moment. What if good drivers didn't have to pay for bad drivers? Root Insurance thinks that the old way of pricing car insurance is unfair, so they developed a mobile app that measures driving behavior by removing bad drivers from the equation. It just makes sense. Root can save good drivers a lot of money. So gone are the days where your car insurance rate is based on your credit score, your age, your gender, or your zip code. With Root, it's car insurance made easy, using an app to base rates primarily on how you drive. That's how Root saved its good drivers up to 52% in 2019. Better drivers do deserve better rates. That's why the Root app uses driving behavior as the primary factor to determine car insurance rates. And in 2019, Root was the fastest growing direct insurance company in the United States. All you have to do is download the Root insurance app, drive normally for a few weeks during the Root test drive, and then see how much money you can save. Don't wait. Give Root a try. Head to your app store, download the Root insurance app, and sign up in less than one minute and start your test drive today. That's R-O-O-T. R-O-O-T. Root. Download the app. Visit joinroot.com and learn more and see how much money you can save. Root reserves the right to refuse to quote any individual a premium rate for the insurance advertised herein, savings based on national reviews, reported by actual customers, Form 1, not available in all states. The product is not available in California. I went to Michael's Craft Store the day of Pro Day, early in the morning, and I got clay and I matched it to the color of my heel and I shaped the clay into the shape of my heel. I put it on the bottom of my foot. It gave me an extra inch and a half. I put two and a half pound weights in each pocket. So it gave me five pounds there, an extra inch and a half of product. So I measured it at 5'8", 182 pounds. Clones, what's cracking? Thank you for tuning in to the Jim Rohn Podcast. We are up to episode 109. In fact, the Christmas app and our last pod of the calendar year. So as we get ready to head into the holiday break this weekend, with just two weeks left in the regular season, there's not a better way to go about this than to talk some NFL and to do it with today's guest. He's a renaissance man. He played six years in the NFL. He owns a couple of Grey Cups from his time in the CFL. He currently works as an analyst for the NFL Network and ESPN. He acts as the director of business development for LeBron's production company, Uninterrupted. He's got a master's degree from Columbia. He produced a short film that some folks are talking about for an Oscar. But he may be best known for co-hosting one of the most popular sports podcasts in the country right now, The Tomahawk Show, alongside former Browns teammate Joe Thomas, which is going on a live nationwide tour next year. My guest for Ep 109 is Mr. Do-It-All, Andrew Hawkins. This guy's life story really is amazing, so let's not waste any more time with it. There's a lot to get to. Ep 109 of the Jim Rohn Podcast starts right now. Andrew, it is so good to run you down. It is awesome to have you on. Given your schedule and what you're doing, it's really great that you made some time for it. How are you living? How are things? I'm good, man. No complaints. Just, you know, grinding and uh, 
trying not to make a fool out of myself on TV too much. There you go. That's a great place to start. <laughs> you know, I want to tell you that when I, I decided early in my career, for instance, that my calling card was going to be my ability to grind. I was going to say, no matter what, nobody was going to outwork me. I was going to make sure of that. But I think I found somebody who's hitting it even harder than me. You, <laughs> my dude. To best give our listeners an idea of who you are, what you're about, and what you're currently doing, can you lay out your weekly schedule and travel and what it's like during the NFL season? Yeah, so uh, this year has been a little better, still super hectic. Um, last year I was going back and forth to Bristol every week for shows and working between like three and four companies. I'm still working between companies, but now I'm in L.A., so on Sunday I do three shows, two with the NFL Network, Game Day View and Game Day Live, and then I end it with uh, the Tomahawk Show over at Uninterrupted in Hollywood, so I finished that show. Wake up early the next day, head to my role as director of business development with Uninterrupted. Um, midway through that day, I go back to NFL Network for my Trend Zone show, uh, then head back to Uninterrupted and work till about 9 p.m. to make up for the lost time. Tuesday, I do the Tomahawk show again and also work from uh, my 9 to 5, which is, again, a director of business development at Uninterrupted. Thursday, I do another show. And, yeah, I mean, every day is pretty much 6 a.m., to 9 p.m. and within even a, a two-day span of just Sunday and Monday sometimes there's five to six shows that I have to do outside of my other thing so it's a lot and yeah I, I was of the same thought man I'm like okay one thing that I know I can control is how I work right and when people feel like you're as invested into the work as they are um, more opportunities come and you know, that's one thing I got to get better at is saying no to opportunities as they continue to come to me. No, I understand that. Like, you don't want to say no to anything because your concern is, well, somebody else will do it if I don't do it, but you got to pick your spots, right? So, for instance, how did you get the gig with Uninterrupted? What was your process for that in the beginning? Yeah, so while I was playing, man, I mean, just my story to the league, um, which is actually, you know, being turned in, into a film and being developed, you know, I had to do everything, right? Like, I'm, I'm five foot seven. I played in the Mac. My stats weren't, you know, pop off the, the, the stat sheet. So I, I had to get creative. And, again, I'm a guy that's going to show up early, stay late. You know, I went and played in Canada. But even before that, I, I used a reality TV show to even get that opportunity. Tried out for so many teams. And it took me three years to finally get my first real look at the NFL. Um, made the practice squad with the Bengals. Got activated early on in my career. And then I didn't look back. But when I finally went to the league, you know, because I was in a situation where I knew that I was good enough to play, right, and everyone else was getting the opportunities, it dawned on me that, like, hey, yes, this dream came true, but you're not in control of when it ends. And, honestly, that haunted me. So when I finally got to the league, my focus in the offseason and any time outside of me devoting to becoming as good a wide receiver as I could be and make an impact was shifted towards, okay, when they tell me I can no longer do this, I want to make sure I'm not in the same situation I was coming out of college, which was, you know, palms in the air. Oh, no, football's gone. What do I do? So in that, I started, you know, doing internships. I started networking. I would fly across the country just for lunches with people of importance or that, I, you know, I respected what they were doing or just to learn more and shadow people. And I signed with Cleveland in 2014. And one of the first people I sought out was Maverick Carter. And it took me probably a year to get to him. Um, and, but by the time I did, I was like, Hey man, I just want to shadow you intern, take you out for coffee and lunch. And at that time I was a leading receiver for the Browns. So he's looking at me like, what are you talking about? 
right? And so I hounded him enough, enough to eventually he was like, hey, you know, come on and intern with me. Um, we're in L.A. You know, if you're ever in the area, you know, we could use your help in this new property we're starting called Uninterrupted. Um, so I picked up my whole family, took them to L.A. for four months, paid a ridiculous amount of money in, in rent, and I trained out there and interned under him um, at the same time while getting my master's degree from Columbia. So I was flying back and forth from L.A. to Columbia every week for classes, you know, but putting myself in that situation was just kind of the, the precursor to what I'm doing now, which is just around-the-clock grind waiting for my opportunity. Listen, let me tell you something. This this is a different lifestyle. People work hard, people grind, but this is something totally different. It seems to me you're running on a different sort of fuel. I mean, <laughs> like, like, why do you go that hard, and is there any concern about <clears throat> burnout or stretching yourself too thin? I mean, yeah, there is concern. You know, I mean, I, and I don't know how long I can do it. It's, it's funny because I travel across the country, like no joke, uh, you know, probably weekly or every other week. If something comes up where I got to be in New York, you know, I'll wake up in the morning, fly to New York, be there for three hours and fly back to Los Angeles where, you know, my wife had to go across the country for a funeral and she was like laying in the bed for two days. She's like, I don't know how you do that. But just from a time perspective, like I need to be places. So I, it's nothing for me to fly across the country in the same day and spend more time in the air than I actually spent in the city I'm going to. Um, so that's where doing that stuff is, has been good for me because I've, I've gotten immune to it almost. Like there's no adjustment. There's no jet lag for me, you know, which I can't imagine you can sustain for a very, very, very long amount of time. Um, but that's always my goal, right? I'm like, hey, dump a lot on my plate. I'm going to go at this with everything I have in the next year. If I can file down that workload and maybe uptick the income a little bit, then that's a positive year. And the more I do that, eventually I'll be getting paid to, you know, sit in my socks and underwear in my basement. I just don't know when that time is going to come. Yeah, I, I understand this. I see you working. As an example, when I do the NFL on CBS, and you can understand this because you do it even on a more extreme level, I'll fly out of Los Angeles on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. That'll put me in New York City at about 5 o'clock in the hotel, about 7 o'clock at night. I get up, I do the production meeting the next day. I do that show, and I turn around, and I fly right back to L.A. the next day. So I'm not yep. even in New York 24 hours, and then I'm back on the air Monday morning. So I know... To a large extent, I know what you're doing and what you're talking about, but even then, I do stay in that same city longer than I am in the air, so you got me there. Okay. Let me ask you this. How crowded, when you consider how crowded the sports media landscape is, everybody's pushing content, everybody has a show, everybody has a podcast. How do you personally cut through all that? Where is the separation? You know what? I feel like I, I, I do a good job of not just being versatile, but also being myself, and there's two ways to that, right? Like, so... In my role at Uninterrupted, yes, I do talent stuff for them as well, um, but it's mostly behind-the-camera stuff. And what that does for me is, you know, I got my master's degree from Columbia in sports business, so that kind of set me up with a really good foundation to add value somewhere, right? And obviously my experience as a professional athlete is another added value to that. So when I'm looking at, like, the things that I'm doing, whether that be in the podcast space, whether that be in the, the digital content, or whether that be on TV or creating stuff, um, you know, the ability to speak to pretty much every touch point of the production or every touch point of the, the business, um, that helps me, you know, because I can go in from a talent standpoint and know what the producers want out of me, right? I can know, you know, if it's a branded segment, I know what the brands are looking for in the segment in front of the camera. Um, so I think that helps. And then also just being myself, like that's my value proposition. And that's why I do so much because, you know, I could have went the traditional media route 
which was, okay, here's X player A, you know, put him in this panel alongside the NFL insider, alongside the numbers person, alongside the NFL reporter and the host. And what happens is uh, when OBJ retires and he decides he wants to go into media, guess whose seat he's coming to get? You know, that's, that's me. So, again, that's putting me, myself in another situation like in the league that eventually somebody better will come along and take your seat. That's how the NFL was. So when I got in the media, you know, I've turned down things that other people would say, man, that was a great opportunity. I can't believe you've done that. But for me, I would look at it and say, there's no way for me to own that. The thing that I own is my own personality and who I am as a person. Nobody can be a better Andrew Hawkins than me. Nobody could be a better Hawk, right? So if I can do content where I get people to invest and, and feel invested in the personality of Hawk, that's something that nobody else can come along and do, right? So with everything I do, whether it's me doing funny videos or jokes or telling stories the way that I tell them or giving my unique experience or being self-deprecating, but also being knowledgeable because I'm an NFL player and because I have a master's degree from Columbia, because I do sports business on a daily basis, again, if that's what you're looking for, I'm your guy and you won't find another human in the world with that experience. So I got to build the appetite for that. You know, it's such a great response. And to me, the thing is so fluid and it's so dynamic and it's three-dimensional. Like as an example, athletes would come to me because I've done it a long time. And they'd say, what kind of advice do you have for me? And I said, listen, I mean, you know the game. You've got insight that I will never have into the game. But I can tell you this. If you want to be in this business when you're done playing the game, understand it will never be as exhilarating as the game. You'll never have that same camaraderie, but you have to hit it as hard as you did the other and treat it with that kind of respect. Do not treat yep. this like a victory lap, man. It's it's a real deal. Your process has to be just as intense. So let me ask you this. That said, the game is changing. What is your message to current athletes, current athletes, in terms of when and how they should think about the next thing? Honestly, I, I say you think about it as soon as as soon as you get the feeling to, because it's 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 important, and not just that it's important. It makes you more well rounded. It gives you leverage. Life is about leverage. I would tell young players coming into the league you know, who wanted to play, who wanted the big millions of dollars of contract money, and, you know, they wanted the commercials, they wanted to, to feel secure in their position in the team, I would say the league is about getting leverage and keeping leverage. Some people come in with leverage. If you're a first-round pick, you have leverage. You are going to get the benefit of the doubt. You're going to get a certain amount of years to show what you have. The only way to lose that is, you know, by you not putting the work in, you not being as good as they thought they were, or – you're doing something else to make you lose that leverage. For a guy like me, I had to get leverage, right? I had to prove I can, I can be a benefit on the kickoff team. I had to prove I can tackle as a 5'7", 160-pound guy. You know, my first entry to the league was playing gunner. You know, I have like 20 career tackles because I had to show I, had, I was worth more. So I can provide that value. I can provide value in the screen game. Oh, I can return. Oh, I can actually run routes. Oh, I can catch the ball. You know, oh, the fact that I'm 5'7", I'm not scared of anybody. I will go in there and block Troy Palomalu and won't think twice about it, right? So by that time, when enough people see it, I got leverage, and then I was able to keep it for long enough to transition. Well, life is the same way, right? When you're playing, you should be becoming a well-rounded athlete. You should be exploring your other passions because, you know, you never want to be in a situation where somebody else can dictate how you make money or how you eat. You always want the option to be able to do something else because that leverage means someone else has to play a premium for your time. So my message to athletes is all the same. It's become more than an athlete. 
You know, like that's how they view you. Yes, they want the guy to run through the wall. You can do that and also learn about the business. Also learn about your finances. Also learn about, you know, whether you want to go into media. You should be, you should call Jim Rome. You should be taking notes on the way he inflects his voice in certain things or the way he comes in and out of breaks or the way that he transitions a conversation. Like that is a real tactical, technical skill that takes learning. You can't jump into anywhere and just be the guy. So, you know, like you said, it takes work and it first it takes seeing yourself as capable of making that a reality. Wow. All right. So LeBron obviously figured this out very early on. If it took you a year to get to Maverick Carter, how long did it take you to get to LeBron? Or was that not part of the deal at all? Like how I'm curious, how involved is he in this particular piece of this business for him? Yeah. I mean, he's very involved, right? But he's, he's as involved as a, as a quarterback who is, um, or, or a first round, you know, DB who is looking, you know, to meet with, jerry jones every day you know what i'm saying that that's he is the founder of this he is um the guy that we point to for for everything maverick carter in his position runs the show right like that's what makes them a special dynamic because lebron is going to keep the main thing the main thing right the thing that made this all possible was lebron being the best basketball player in the world um and this is what i tell athletes now like if you're a wide receiver yes you can't take away from being a wide receiver to do this other stuff. But, you know, if you can be the best wide receiver and learn the other stuff in the time that you have, that's how you create a real value proposition. So, yeah, it took me a while to get to Maverick Carter. Um, and honestly, that was my focus. My focus was never getting to LeBron. You know what I mean? Because I can't be a LeBron. I can't be – I can't wake up as the best player ever. You know what I mean? Like, I always felt like I was a guy who got to the league off hard work, determination, being smart. Um and I always felt like a fan who got to play in the National Football League. I looked at Maverick Carter and seen the things that he built, the things that he'd gone through, the things that he learned from and his position in the game. And I'm like, man, I know I can learn a lot from that guy. So I've always seen myself more in Mav than I have LeBron because there's, there's never a day, no matter how hard I work, am I going to wake up six foot eight, 250 pounds, lightning fast, jump through the roof, can you know hit it from half court and you know dunk from the free throw line. Um, but with that being said, the dynamic is amazing. Just kind of watch the way that they've been smart with their business from day one, and they've always understood the leverage that they have as businessmen and being able to maximize opportunities. Um, and that trickle down to me has, has been another master's degree in this space, and something I know I'm going to use for the remainder of my life. Hey, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper this time. Wild Trapper. Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is also a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously so you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? No one. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal. And it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. For those of you who like to take things up a notch, next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? 
You know, so if you come out and you're 5'7", and, you know, I don't know, 170, 175, maybe not that, on your pro day, what exactly did you do to appear <laughs> bigger to scouts and NFL people than you were? What was your strategy? Yeah, so I was like, okay, I understood I had skill, right? So if you're an NFL player, there has to be one thing that you do exceptional. You know, for anybody who thinks they can play professional basketball, football, you name it, there has to be one thing that you know you excel at more than 99.9% of humans, even by a professional athlete standpoint. So I would be in game. I would do my quickness and change of direction, and my explosion was even better than the guys that I went to go on to play in the National Football League, right? But just like you're at Disney World, uh, you have to be a certain height to ride that ride. Right. And one thing I knew going into the pro day was, hey, I'm not, I'm not that height. You know, if I'm measuring at a 5'6 on pro day, you know, they're not going to say, oh, I want to see about the qualities he does have to see if he can fit. So I'm like, well, I want to give myself the best chance possible with the one thing that I can't control, which is my height. So my idea was I went to Michael's Craft Store the day of Pro Day, early in the morning, and I got clay, and I matched it to the color of my, my, the, my heel, and I went home, and I shaped the clay into the shape of my heel in like a little bit of a down downgrade, almost like a wedge. And so when it got on my, I put it on the bottom of my foot, it gave me an extra inch and a half, and I just taped my ankles around. So you can only see a little bit of skin out the back of the ankle tape, um, but it looked like my actual foot. Uh, so I'm basically walking on my tiptoes. I baked the, the clay to make it hard. And when I, when I measured it in pro day, I put five-pound weights or two-and-a-half-pound weights in each pocket. So it gave me five pounds there and an extra inch and a half on pro day. So I measured it at 5'8", 182 pounds. Or, yeah, 180, yeah, 182 pounds. And still not the biggest, but, you know, as you can imagine for an NFL team that sees my quickness, sees that I ran a 4-3-4, seeing that, seen that I did a four-flat shuttle, seeing that I did a 38 vertical leap, they're like, oh, well, we can, that's at least enough to give him a chance as opposed to measuring at 5'6", 176 pounds. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's an incredible process. But then, even after all that, you were undrafted in 08. So mentally and emotionally, where were you at at that time? Uh, I knew it would be an uphill battle. You know, I mean, I, I didn't think I was getting drafted. You know, I knew it was a long shot for me to even get signed. Um, but I, I was encouraged, you know, when I got the opportunity to try out for the Browns. And the only reason I got the tryout was because a coach that – coached at Toledo the year prior to, ended up getting an assistant DB job with the Browns. And for rookie minicamp, they just need camp bodies. You know, they let every coach kind of pick somebody to bring in. So he was like, hey, I'm telling you, this kid can play. They didn't show him a lot of love at Toledo, um, but I've seen him every day, and it always baffled me that, you know, he wasn't more involved in it. So I got that opportunity, and I went there, and I did really well. Like, one of the best there. I can remember specifically it was like my third, my second or third day and I have been running around like all these guys, all their draft picks, all their undrafted signees, all the other rookies. And you could just tell, like, Paul Warfield calls me aside, and he's like, hey, dude, they, the Buccaneers drafted Dexter Jackson in the second round. You're better than him right now. And I'm like, wow. And, you know, uh, Wes Chandler, who was a receiver coach, said, hey, you're better than three or four guys we have on the roster. Anthony Lynn was the running back coach, and he pulled me aside. And said, man, I hope we make something happen because you showed out this camp. So I was, but that was the first time that I had real decision makers saying, 
hey, you're good enough to play in this league. So even though it didn't end up happening, it's like the little thing that happened that kept me on the fight. Like, man, if they think that, then I know I'm not crazy. Dude, that had to be so great for your confidence when you're talking about guys like Paul Warfield, Wes Chandler. Yeah. This is a huge Anthony Lynn house. I love the guy. I love the guy. So if they're telling you, hey, man, there's something there. You can do it. That That's just a little more fuel. It keeps you going. I get that. So when you put in all this time and you went to the CFL for a couple of years, you had success there too. You keep grinding. You keep battling. Then you sign the big deal, a four-year, $13.6 million deal with the Browns. Man, given everything you had been through, what did that deal represent to you? What did that feel like? You know, it was amazing, man, to be honest, because my goal through the whole thing Jim, was that I played one game in the league. So even going through all the stuff that I went through, you know, playing in Canada, doing the reality show, you know, on Spike TV with Michael Irvin, just to get the Canadian League contract, um, the rookie mini camps, the, you know, living on a friend's couch. I went back, I was a GA at Toledo. All of that was just to play one game in the NFL. Because in my mind, if I can play one game in the NFL – I would have, A, been able to tell everyone who said I couldn't, I told you so. And, B, I'm like, you know, if that's all it is, when I'm going to fill out my resume and I'm going to get a job at a pharmaceutical company or selling insurance or, you know, getting to the business side of things, I could at least point to that as a conversation starter to say, oh, I played in the NFL. That was my whole mindset. So when I, finally, when I got a big contract, it, like my mind was blown because I was so far past what my actual goal was um that it was like at that at that point i was just on house money and it was just like man i can't believe not only did i make it here i actually made it to a second contract i actually led an nfl team in receiving and i was actually a guy that people would point to i started seeing people say oh he's like andrew hawkins we need a receiver like andrew hawkins and that boggled my mind man you know, you notice you and I have gone this far into the conversation. I haven't asked you one topical question about the NFL yet because I really am so into the process and the grind and the energy and the heart and the grit. I mean, it's an amazing thing to me, even as somebody who's been in this game as long as I have. I have nothing but respect and admiration for it. So when you now, now you have a tremendous podcast and it's doing extremely well. What about the big guy, Joe Thomas? When you yeah. first when you first met him, when you showed up with that team, because this guy's an icon and a legend, how did you guys do initially? What was your first impression of each other? Well, the, the, the thing about me and Joe is when I first got to Cleveland, um, you know, I, I was, you know, I was, I'm a guy they brought in, right? Like I'm, a, I'm their free agent signing, and not just free agent. I was a restricted free agent, so they essentially took me from the Cincinnati Bengals um, because they believed in me that much and. My thing is always, like, I want to prove my worth. I'm not here to try to, you know, trick anybody into giving me opportunity or, you know, lobby for opportunities I don't deserve or feel like I'm ready for. So when I was there, I was just so laser-focused on making an impact that I wasn't very personable there, right, which is not really my personality, but I was, you know, the stress of getting a big deal is real, and I'm like, I want to deliver. Um, so I was, a, you know, very quiet. And, and Joe, in, in his mind, was like, yo, this guy kind of seems like an a-hole. Um, luckily one of my college teammates, uh, was a good friend of Joe and also on the team. And he like bridges the gap to where eventually, you know, as luck, fate would have it, we would end up sitting at the same lunch table and then we started talking and we would talk about games or we would talk about life and that bubbled into politics and that bubbled into every topic you could possibly imagine. And here we are, you know, two guys that seem like on the external, we couldn't be more different. 
we realized quickly, like, man, we're pretty much the same kind of guy. And that's when our relationship and friendship just started to flourish because Joe is a guy who, as you know, he works his tail off. Every single day he shows up to work, he prides himself on doing his job. And for him, he felt like I was that same kind of person. And from there, our relationship just kind of blossomed, man, to, to where it is now where we do a show every week. And it's the, the highlight of our week to basically – just get on the phone and have a really cool conversation that people feel like they want to hear. Contractors everywhere rely on Ferguson for a wide variety of specialty products, tools, supplies, and services. Access all this and more with the new Ferguson app. It allows you to order on the go, find your nearest location, and quickly scan product barcodes for easy reordering. With tools like this, it is no wonder why ordering with Ferguson is the easiest part of your hard day of work. Download today to get started. Like, I was riding shotgun on that Browns bandwagon before the season. I will own it. I love them. My man, where did that go so wrong? How did it go all wrong? Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a shortcut to success, man. And as much as people would love to say that, you know, you can just gather talent and that be it, especially in the game of football, like, everyone needs to be on the same page. And that takes time. Like, there's a, there's a difference between having a talented team and having a good team. You know, and I think that's where it went, quote unquote, wrong. Um, but to be honest, I don't know if it went wrong because I think the expectations were just unrealistic. And you know, I, I'm sure I've been a part of that as well because I, I was also on on the, the Brown type train for for a plethora of reasons. But the reality is, things take time. So I would hope that the Browns understand that because even if you gave the same equation that you gave this year, next year. I think the team would be better because time is how you build a good team. Time is how you build chemistry. Time is how you build rapport. Um, and there, there's no shortcut to it. I don't care how good the running backs are, how good the receivers are, or how good you think the quarterback is, the defense. Like it, it takes time to understand a team and, and even more than that, how to win. Um, so I think they went wrong just by thinking that they could just put a bunch of random puzzle pieces in there and expect success that other places have, have spent decades and years and years to build. So when you're looking as a wide receiver and you're looking at Odell Beckham, an unbelievable talent, he's had a tough year, right? So how much of that is he's more banged up than he's letting on, and how much of that is they're just not finding ways to get him the ball? I, I think it's a, it's a mix of the two, right? And he's had a tough year. You know, what, I, what you call a tough year is a career year for me, right? He'll probably finish with 1,000 yards receiving. Hmm. Um, you know, I think he's at like nine, ten right now with two games to go. You know, but but the reality is, he's across from another receiver in Jarvis Landry, um, who is also a record-breaking receiver in the amount of years they've been in the league. Like these are two people that have had the most receptions of any receivers early in their careers in NFL history. So you're sharing touches that way, and then also you playing through a sports hernia is a big deal. I hope people understand that that's not something that, you know, you could just skim over. You feel that with every single step you take, whether you're on the field or off at the house, he feels that. That's just a, over time, he just learns to just be okay with the pain. Um, but I think Od Odell Beckham has been a consummate professional in Cleveland. I think he's been a model citizen, you know, just to, to think about how incredible of a receiver he is. And he's never the guy making excuses in the media. You know, every article that's written about him 
is written about him and not coming out of his own mouth. Everything that he says seems like a leader, seems like a professional, seems like a guy who doesn't make excuses, seems like a guy who puts it on his own shoulders, you know, which is really what you want out of leaders and not pointing the finger at everybody else who either is talking about you or criticizing you. Right, so if you had to guess, where do you think he's at mentally? Do you think that he's in a good spot? Does he want to be there? I think so, man. I, I, I think so. I, I think he's a competitor. I think every receiver is a competitor. I think every player is a competitor. And they want to be, you know, where they can be the guy and have the most impact. You know, if, they, if the Browns team is, you know, 10 wins, if they're 10 and, and 4 right now or 10 and 3, um, I don't think he cares about what this – if he has the same exact stats. I don't think he cares. But when you're losing and you're a competitor and you believe in yourself and you're confident, your mind is always going to say, I bet we could win if we just get me involved more. You know, like you don't think, oh, there's something else that has to happen. You say, no, this is why I'm here. This is why I get paid the money I get paid. Come to me. Let me help you. You know, and if you're winning, I don't think that's the case. I think his mind is, 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 is well, but always he's going to feel like a heavier dose of him is only going to put them in a better situation. All right, so before I let you go, help me with this. Do you believe what the Pats are selling in terms of their shooting a documentary on an advanced scout? Listen, man, you're on both <laughs> sides of this now. You understand content as well as anybody. Do yeah. you believe that, or did they just get caught cheating again? You know what? I'm not sure, man. I'd have to get some more information, the information being like, how, is, how, how is extensive was this documentary? You know, if they're following him, you know, every game that he's going to, and that's their process for every single game that of teams that are on the schedule, I'm going to raise an eyebrow. You know, if they're, if they're like, yo, this is the only time we went to the Bengals and we were just gathering B-roll, then I'm inclined to say, like, yeah, like there's no reason to do one game version of that and gather just B-roll of signals from the Bengals, who will be picking first overall next year. If there's one team you need signals from, it's not the Bengals. So those are the questions I have. But if it's like, hey, they were doing this for every single team, and there was 10, 15, 20 minutes of B-roll of the coaches and the signals every, every team, then I'm, I'm going to start to ask a couple of questions. Right, so when you look at the Patriots right now, how do they look? For instance, they're not what they were offensively. Tom Brady mm-hmm. may not have the great weapons around him that he once had. How vulnerable do they look to you? Um, you know, they're a team that I still – I always think they're a Super Bowl contender regardless. Um, and to be honest, I don't think they're that vulnerable, right? Um, they're differently positioned. I think the issue is that the game is changing um, from what they have typically done. And, you know, they'll finish the season 13-3, and three, which is an incredible season. If that happened in Cleveland, they would build multiple statues for multiple people. <laughs> uh, but the reality is this. Wise players are typically older because experience. The Patriots are the oldest team in the league which is why they're the smartest team in the league. And they've always been the smartest. You know, but what happens when you're the smartest team in the league, just like in life, wise people who are wise from experience are typically the older people. One thing older people don't do as well as the others is move well. So when they're playing these teams like the, like the Ravens or the Texans or the Chiefs, the team that they've lost to, these are dynamic offenses. They, they haven't seen players like Lamar. So it doesn't matter if you're in position. You, you're a little older. You don't move as well as Lamar does. You don't move like the Tyreek Hills or like the Patrick Mahomes. And I just feel like when they play those teams, that's when they struggle. Because I picked all three of those losses. They're the only games that I picked for the Patriots to lose for that reason. Because I feel like, you know, 
as a defense, as good as their defense is and as smart as their team is, they just aren't – like they're a little older than, than those players are and those teams are dynamic. And because they have to go through those teams to get to the Super Bowl, that's why I think it's going to be hard because that's not something you can fix. Today's episode of the Jim Rome Podcast is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ, the brand new streaming sports news network. It is live 24-7. It costs you nothing. That's right. The price is nothing. Sports coverage. It's always on and always free. CBS Sports HQ is coverage that is focused on the game. You get a ton of highlights. You get breaking news as it happens. You get fantasy advice. And you get something that we all care about a lot around here. Gambling picks analysis to get the extra edge i know when i turn on cbs sports hq i will get the tips and the trends and the data and the intel that i need to win some bets and don't forget you get access to all this amazing coverage for free i don't mean free for a week or a month or if you have some special cable package i mean totally and completely free for everybody you don't even need a login Just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or other connected device at any time and watch CBS Sports HQ. Again, no fake, contrived, manufactured debates, just sports for real sports fans at the great price of nothing. You don't even have to log in or sign up for anything at all. Just download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. I think you make a great point about as you get older, you don't move as well. But then again, I'm not sure that anybody of any age moves quite like Lamar Jackson. I mean, never no, mind, never true. mind, best player in the league, right? Has the league ever seen a quarterback like Lamar Jackson? I don't, man. And I mean, you know, we could talk about Michael Vick. And I think Michael Vick, who admittedly didn't watch film for seven years of his career, had he done just that, I think we would have seen him in an even better version. But he was so physically gifted and so light years ahead of everybody else. He felt like he didn't need to. With Lamar, uh, there's so much around him that we haven't seen before, right? Like, his ability to pass the ball is way better than people expected, which is, you know, he's leading the league in touchdown passes. Obviously, as a runner, he is the most dynamic player in the league with the ball in his head, and that's whether you're a receiver, running back, returner, specialist, it doesn't matter. But on top of that, he is a guy who just cares about football. And you can tell. You can tell the way his teammates react to him. You know, I've talked to coaches at the Ravens. You could tell the way they react to him, the front offices. You could tell in his interviews. I watch his interviews intently, and I'm looking just for something that seems, you know, disingenuous. And I can't find anything because he just seems so real. Um, And that's just special, man, especially in this day and age. He just loves ball. And if he keeps that going, he's going to be a problem in this league for a long time. Yeah, Andrew, before you go, I've always said this. That we don't really know any of you guys. Like, how could we from a soundbite from – we just don't. Like, how could we? But I'm looking at Lamar Jackson, and what tells me more about him than anything else is not necessarily what he says or does, but the way the guys who matter most react to him. When I see Mark Ingram just giving him the love and respect and admiration that he does, I know this guy's a real deal because you've got the other alphas in that locker room who are reacting to him, and I see nothing but love and respect. Absolutely, man. The easiest person to hate on a football team is a quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, because they are the they are the face of the franchise. They are the guys who chummy with the owners, who chummy with the head coaches, who gets all the endorsement deals, who gets all the love. So it's easy for guys to get jealous. It's easy for guys to turn on them. It's easy to guys just to say, yeah, you know, it is what it is. And you don't see that with Lamar. You see the exact opposite. The guys gravitate to him because every chance he gets, when you give him praise, he gives his teammates praise. 
that's special. If you watch just his games, watch when an offensive lineman is on the ground, Jim, and you will see the first person that runs up and helps that offensive lineman up off the ground every time is Lamar Jackson. You can do a highlight tape of 40-plus plays of his games where he is running into a pile to help his O-line up. That tells me more about Lamar Jackson than anything he could have said in an interview, anything he could have done on a highlight tape, and anything that you know us analysts and media personalities can say about what we think he is. Yeah, and it seems like it's not, and it's not BS or political or disingenuous or for show or fake hustle, man. It's just real. So, Andrew, finally, if you, if you, if it, just getting to the NFL, implying one game meant what it meant to you, the way you laid that out. Does it seem at all surreal that they're going to make a movie about you and then who's going to play you and then how do I get an invite to the premiere? <laughs> you got it. Your invite will be in the mail. Good. You're on the guest list. Good. Um, we should be making announcements. Uh, well, they should be making an announcements soon on who will start it as me. Um, it's working out some fine-tuned things, but it'll, it'll be someone that I, I could be more confident in bringing that, that story to life. And lastly, it is surreal, man. It is, um, with everything that I was doing, this kind of thing is what kind of kept me pushing. Um, And it's who I am as a person. Like, people who don't know me, you know, I I just like to see other people reach their max max opportunity. For me, I was a guy that my entire life, people told me what I wasn't going to be able to do, right? And so much so, I got numb to it. I got immune to it. And, you know, sometimes to a fault, I don't listen to what people think about what I should do and what I can accomplish. So if I can be that kind of person for somebody else to say, hey, who cares what they say? Do what makes you happy, and here's how you do it, and here's an opportunity. If, I, if my story can inspire somebody to go after their dream, like that was the kind of thing that kept me going in the times when I was living on the couch and you know being cut from arena teams or CFL teams or reality shows is that one day this story is going to help somebody get over the hump. So it is surreal. I do pinch myself. Um, and it really is a dream come true to be able to hopefully provide that for somebody else. So were you looking to prove people wrong or were you looking to prove people right? Like what kind of fuel? Yeah, yeah it, at the beginning it was the other one. It was I was looking to prove people wrong. And it's funny because I did the reality show and I felt like I should have won. I should have won and everybody kind of felt that way. Michael Irvin has since even told me like, hey, you won the show, but we couldn't send a, a five, six wide receiver from a reality show on Spike TV to the Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. It just couldn't happen. Um, you know, but I remember once I got done with the show, there was a coach who I actually coached with prior to going on the show who was an extra on there, and he called me, and he couldn't believe that they didn't pick me. And he said to me, Hawk, man, the one, if I had any criticism of you, it's the chip on your shoulder is massive. And the energy that you are spending to prove people who don't care about you wrong um, is going to be the death of you because it doesn't matter what you accomplish. They'll just say the next thing that you can't do. Um, so when I made it to the NFL, it was, oh, you won't last. And when I lasted, it was, oh, you won't start. And when I started, it said, oh, you won't lead the team. And when I led the team, it's, oh, you won't get a contract. And, oh, you won't make the Pro Bowl. Oh, you won't make the Hall of Fame. And it, it's just like a, a moving finish line. So he said it would be smarter for you to focus your energy on proving the people who believe in you right. And that was like a turning point in my life. And that's what I do today. And even still, that's why it's so much fun for me to figure this out because I get to celebrate with the people who along the way believe in me and that and, and that number I'm not going to lie has grown as time goes on but yeah that's that's the really cool part of it dude I think that's such an amazing pivot I think that is so profound so then finally then last question are you more proud if you have to choose if you have to choose are you more proud 
of what you did on the field and what went into making it to the NFL? Or maybe are you more proud? Is it more gratifying what you're doing right now off the field? Yeah, I, I would say probably off the field. You know, as proud as I am of the NFL uh, career and the opportunity I was awarded, and I love the game of football and it's provided me so much, you know, this side of it was the side where it was like, oh, yeah, you definitely can't do that. And this was my plan all along to do exactly what I'm doing now and building the way that I'm building um, and learning new things, man. That's why I'm proud of it because when I wake up in the morning and I say, hey, it would be cool to do this, I just do it. I just start putting in the work and start setting up the opportunity to make that a reality. Um, you know, we just made the shortlist. I executive produced a, a short animated film called Hair Love, and we just made the shortlist for the Academy Awards. So it's down to 10. Five will be nominated. So we have a really good chance of being nominated for an Oscar. I never would have dreamt that in a million years, you know, but I remember three years ago when I was talking to the person who was coming up with it, they're like, hey, our goal is to win an Oscar. Why can't we do it? Let's do it. And here we are, you know, right on the brink of that. So that part is special to me. And again, that's what I hope that I can inspire other people to do as well. All right, look, I'm not going to let you go without following up on that. An Oscar, like what does that feel like? Have you imagined what it would feel like to win an Oscar? (laughs) No, I can't imagine. I don't want to. I'm trying not to jinx it, uh, but at the same time, like just to make it to this point is incredible, right? Not a lot of people can say that. Um, and yes, if there's extra and it just keeps keep, keeps going, then I'm gonna be even that much more excited. But right now, I'm like, I can't believe that we are in this position. Um, I never would have thought it, you know. But I, I, I don't, I don't, I can't even speak to like the feeling that that would be because it's a goal that I didn't, you know, set out for when I first started this NFL journey. But it, it speaks to, again, just seeing yourself as more than the limitations that other people are putting on your life. So let me just finally say, I, I've got a sense of your grind, your responsibility, the number of things you're doing. I want to thank you very much for spending the amount of time to do this podcast that you did right now. That's a big ask on my part. That's not easy to do. And I do want to say, man, I've got, I mean, it's so good to plug into you. I think you really are the epitome of somebody who understands self-actualization. Like you are doing everything within your power without compromising those around you, I'm sure, to be the very best version of you that you can be. And I'm telling you, man, it's really inspirational. It, it's awesome. I really appreciate it, Hawk. That, that's an amazing amazing conversation i appreciate it jim man my pleasure next time i'm coming in person so we can, we can sit face to face and, and, and ask all this yeah, i would love that you come to me i'll come to you whatever it takes and Perfect. and make sure you get that invite in the mail because i'm coming whether i'm invited or not <laughs> to the premiere of the movie done deal man everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk you might get into a crash people might get hurt or even killed. But let's take a moment and look at some pretty surprising stats. Nearly 29 people in the United States die every single day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. And even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the past three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives every single year. That said, Many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. So it's not harmless, is it? 
And from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes actually doubled. So the truth is, driving while high is deadly. Stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from alcohol or drugs, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over. Let me once again say, Andrew Hawkins has got a ton going on, so I really do appreciate him taking the amount of time that he did to have that kind of conversation. If you want more Hawk, check him out with Joe Thomas every week on the Tomahawk Show podcast. But while we're on this pod, and we're talking about this pod, give yourself the early Christmas present by getting subscribed. It is so easy. Just hit the button, and you will get future episodes automatically pinged right to your mobile device. Now, in full disclosure, we are off next week for vacation, but that just means it is the perfect time to go back and check out our past episodes. Recently, I spoke with Danny DeVito, David Goggins, and Barry Zito. You can give those a spin, or you can go way back and look for episodes with Keegan-Michael Key, Steve Elkington, Charles Barkley. So there is something for everybody. Trust me on that. Again, we are off next week, but I will see you right back here on Thursday, January 2nd. Until then. Have an amazing holiday break, and here are your voicemails. First new message. Van Smack. This is Gerald the Mailman out here in Louisiana. Danny freaking DeVito. Danny freaking DeVito. I mean, I don't know how you top this one, Jim. This is my favorite one of all time. Keep up the good work. Message saved. Next message. Romy, what's up? It's Matt in Rancho Mirage. What a fucking phenomenal interview with Danny DeVito. When he listed off all those people that uh, were production people on Taxi, a bunch of those folks, including the late, great Sam Simon, and then the goddamn cancer struck him down. But such a great interview. Phenomenal. Thank you. Message saved. Next message. Tip in the box. What's up? This is David from Buffalo. We're going to the playoffs, baby. And, hey, to that Justin from Melbourne or Cocoa Beach or wherever he calls in from, bro, all I can say is this. You have a CFL quarterback for a starter, and we have Josh Allen. We have Tredavious freaking White, who look like a combination of Deion Sanders, Champ Bailey, and Daryl Green. We locked you guys up. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Justin, and Melbourne. We got quarterback issues in Pittsburgh. I mean, Roethlisberger's diet's going about as well as Beaks and Studio C's weight loss program. First of all, he ate Rudolph. Now he's sizing up Duck. I don't know what they're going to do next year. They're going to need to get a golf cart to get this guy on and off the field. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, this is Luke from Fort Collins. Just wanted to wish you and your family and your crew happy holidays. I got invited just now to a Christmas party for later this week, and the theme of the party just so happens to be Space Jam. I'll bring a tennis racket. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Romy, it's Robin, your favorite flight attendant. Hey, man, talking about the tour stop. Hell yeah, we want him to come in, especially all the lady clowns out there. But, Rome, you're getting a little too upscale for all of us, right? We're scrappy as clones out here, so... Come to St. Pete, we'll show you Scrappy in a first-class way. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Rome? Stuck Nut Radio here with Steve and Bacon and I. 
We just finished our decade in review, man. Had a blast. A lot of great stuff on the jungle. I hope y'all listen to it. Thanks for everything, bro. I'm out. Late. Message saved. You have no more messages.